My God is king. That's what his name meant. Elimelech, my father-in-law, when he brought his wife and sons to my country many years ago, there was really no reason for an Israelite to set foot in Moab, for our countries had a long history of conflict. But there was a famine in Bethlehem, and so he left to provide for his family, finding refuge in Moab. The sweetness of God, that's what her name meant. Naomi, my mother-in-law, a woman who has known more grief and loss and pain in her life than any other woman I know. How ironic to have a name that praises the beautiful, sweet nature of the Israelite God, Yahweh, and yet experience such unimaginable sorrow. I mean, if Yahweh is king and if his nature is good and sweet, why had every man that Naomi ever loved died prematurely? including my beloved and Orpah's, my sister-in-law. They weren't perfect men, but they were good men, and we loved them. And our grief was overwhelming. This was my family, the place I experienced acceptance and belonging, the place where I learned about this Yahweh, the faithful king of Israel, the loving God who sees, who provides, who redeems. I mean, he had before, I loved listening to my husband and my mother-in-law speak of Yahweh's long-suffering care for, for Israel and of his protection and his guidance throughout generations. And for this reason, when my husband died and Naomi decided to return to the land of Judah, I refused to leave her. She told us to leave. She wished us well and said, I have nothing to offer you. No more, no more sons for you to marry. Return to your mother's household and you might marry again. For God has turned against me. Orpah refused to leave at first, too. But then she hugged Naomi, weeping, and she left, returning to her mother, mother's home and God's. But I hugged my mother, not in-law, for that's what she had become for me, a mother, a friend, my family. And she was suffering overwhelmed by the bitterness of the cup that she was forced to drink. I could not leave her. And so I clung to her and I said, I will not leave you. Where you go, I will go. And where you live, I will live. And your people will be my people. And your God is my God. And where you die, I will die. And may God deal with me severely, if anything, but death separates me from you. And when she saw that I was determined, she said no more. And so we left for Bethlehem, where there was no longer a famine. And as soon as we set foot in the town, I heard whispers from the people. Is that Naomi? Is she alone? Where is her husband? Who's that she's with? And Naomi responded to them with what had almost become a daily creed. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when God has turned against me and brought calamity upon me? My heart broke for her lack of faith, her lack of hope, her inability to experience even the smallest bit of joy. There had been many times when my husband was still alive when we'd all laugh together over a meal, and Naomi had the sweetest laugh. But now, only despair. But we had to make a home here. 
a land where I was now the stranger, and we had to eat. And it was the beginning of barley harvesting season. And so I went to the field of one of, the, one of my father-in-law's family members, and I asked the workers there if I could glean the leftover grains from the fields. And after hours of gleaning, Boaz, the owner of the field and the kindest man, approached me and told me not to glean from any other field but his, for he had instructed his, worker, instructed his workers to protect me. I asked him why he was extending such favor to me, and he told me that he'd heard of my kindness towards Naomi. And then he blessed me, saying, May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. My refuge? Yes, Yahweh had become my refuge. That night, I brought the barley home to Naomi, and her eyes got large, and I detected the slightest bit of a smile. Where did you work today, she asked. I told her all that had happened, and, I, and as I spoke, her smile grew. Naomi was overwhelmed by Boaz's kindness to me, and she said, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And so I continued to glean from Boaz's field until the end of the harvesting season. Occasionally enjoying a meal with Boaz and the other workers, he was not just a kind-hearted man, but also a wise and steadfast man full of admiration and love for Yahweh. So at the end of the harvesting season, when Naomi asked me to do something, well, interesting, I obeyed. She mentioned again that he was one of our redeemers, which meant that under Liberite law, if a man died before he could produce an heir, then a close relative could marry the man's widow and produce an heir for that man, redeeming his lineage. Naomi asked me to go to the threshing floor where the men would be resting for the night after winnowing the barley. And she said to wait until he was good and tired and laying down, and then I should uncover his feet and lie down beside them and then wait for him to tell me what to do. I guess this was the way I would offer myself to him in marriage. Talk about nervous. What if he didn't want me, a widow, a foreigner, a Moabite? But I obeyed. And when he finally noticed me laying at his feet, I said, I am your servant. Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. He didn't respond in any of the ways that I feared. Instead, he blessed me, and he thanked me for choosing him. <laughs> it made me feel so treasured. But there was one problem. There was one other man who was a closer redeemer than, Bo um, was a closer redeemer than Boaz. So Boaz, being the honorable, honorable man that he was, would go and see this man and offer him the opportunity to, opportunity to marry me and produce an heir for Elimelech's line. I prayed to Yahweh that night that this man would say no because my heart had already become devoted to Boaz. In the morning, he sent me home with an abundance of barley and Naomi opened the door and I told her all that had happened. I saw a restored glimmer of hope in her eye and excitement and joy that I hadn't seen in years. And when Boaz returned later that day, asking for my hand, she wept. Tears of joy and gratitude that God, the Redeemer, had remembered us, had remembered her. Let's pray, family.
Lord, we are thankful for this season where we get to be reminded of your grace, reminded of your love, reminded of your desire to come into our lives and disrupt things. You take chaos and make order. So guide my tongue that your people might be encouraged from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Maybe you have a, um, an uncle, maybe a granddad, a granddad that like remembered what it was like to dress cool when they was cool. But now they ain't cool no more. So now when they dress, they still think it's cool to have like the inside of the shirt match the inside of the jacket to match the socks and the belt. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes you can have old school family members that can be embarrassing. But sometimes you can have older family members that can somewhat set you up for failure. I mean, some of us may have grandparents that went for that business and went bankrupt. Or maybe we have some that lost the family house. Maybe we have some that did something and the generations after are feeling the effects of their bad decisions. As we enter into our story today, our story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, we enter into that story with the people of God having gone through a season of judges where the grandparents and parents have made some bad decisions. And each time they make bad decisions, God says, okay, you want to not trust me? You want to put your hope and your faith and your trust in a fake God? Then I'll let your opposers beat you down. I'll let the neighbors that don't like you come over and steal your dishwasher. I'll let the folks next door come in and take your fridge. I'll, I'll, I'll allow you to be oppressed. And so we enter into Ruth at a time where the people have experienced some drama from their neighbors and also experience some famine. Famine, famine, famine. Famine is when you hungry. Famine is when you don't have. And if there's one thing we know is that God provides for his people. When the people had no food and they was traveling in the desert, what did they look off and see coming their way? Some quail. We, we know that God can provide food. God can provide drink. And so for some reason right now, the people of God are hungry and we go into the book of Ruth with the people of God leaving Jerusalem and going to Moab. So turn with me to Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we're going to be going through that book. It's going to be some verses up here. But the reason why this book kicks off in a city that you're not common with is because the people are hungry. But it also jumps in right away with a woman named Naomi, and Naomi knows Yahweh. Somebody say Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh is different than God. You see, there were many terms for gods in that day. Elohim was one that referred to the people of Israel's God as well as Yahweh. Let me hear you say Yahweh. 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 It would be like today when you go out in the public and you talk to people and you're like, oh, don't worry, God's got you. Or you say, okay, it's okay, just pray to God. Or you say, you know what, you're not feeling good, don't worry, God's got your back. Everybody cool with that. But if you said 
Don't worry, Jesus got you. Somebody might be like, hold on now. Hey, you should pray to Christ because Christ will help you. Hold on now. See, it, it takes what could be used as a general term, general term and makes it nice, quite, and specific. And this Naomi knew Yahweh. But Naomi also knew pain. Pain. Pain is the, pro, the antagonist of, of praise. Pain is, is that thing that, that, that is selfish. Pain wants all of your attention. Pain wants you to give it all of your focus and attention. And it has come down Naomi Street, knocked on her door and rattled her home. So much so that Naomi, as we enter into this story, has lost her husband, man of God, both of her sons, men of God. But pain has an interesting way of leading you towards getting closer to God or going further away from God. If you will, if you will jump with me into Ruth chapter one, verse eight, and y'all, we're going to go through this story and you got to be patient with stories in the Bible because the main point comes at the end, just like a good book. You don't just stop at chapter one. So allow the story to take place. I'm going to try to roll through it as quickly as possible because we have little kids, but allow the story to flow. Ruth chapter one, verse eight, y'all with me? Amen. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said, no, they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. All right. So let's remember the two are in pain. Uh, Orpah and Naomi are both widows. They've lost their husbands and they come to Naomi and Naomi says, look, you don't owe me nothing. You are free to go back to your homeland. I know I'm in Moab. Moab is not the place of God. So when I met you, you knew false gods. You were connected and worshiping false idols. I'm going to free you up. Go ahead and go back. And watch the two responses. I love that. Watch the two responses that happen. They first both say, no, 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 we got you. We're not going nowhere. Look with me at verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. The power, I, I, I want you to see the importance of living in conviction. Because both of them were challenged to go free. Hey, I'm giving y'all both the opportunity to go back to your homes. But they both respond differently. And what is happening here is, is our sister Naomi is being challenged to live out of conviction, conviction that she loves God. Because you see, being a widow, also in a foreign land, imagine if, imagine if, um, 
if you were a, a University of Michigan person, if you was one of them, and, uh, and you came into your family barbecue wearing all Ohio State gear, it's going to be a problem, right? I get it. I know. I know. Y'all looking at me ready to fight now. I know. But then you try to come back a month later wearing Michigan again. We got some problems. We got some. You, what, what? you see, she was a part of a, of a community that did not worship God. Left said, I'm with Yahweh. And then you're going to step back into that. But in stepping back into that, at least Naomi would have known what was expected of her. It would have been comfortable. It would have been home. It would have been challenging, but it would have been what she knows. And how many of us, when we get challenged, hit with pain, we go right back into what's comfortable. You see, Orpah not only went back and just went home, Orpah went back and it says, and she worshiped the previous gods. But it says something different about our sister Naomi. Um, Lord, Lord. Ruth, thank you. See, that means somebody listening to the story. Amen. Amen. Listen, look at what it says in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Your God, my God. If you looked at that in the text of the of the old language, that Greek language, it would say your Yahweh, my Yahweh. We're not talking about gods in general. We're not talking about this, this many choices. We're talking about the people of Israel, Jesus Christ lineage. We're talking about Yahweh. And so she acknowledges your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is a woman of faith. Ruth is a woman of faith. We don't know how deep her faith is. We don't know all that. What we are gathering, though, is that beforehand she did not love the Lord. She got involved in this family. And somehow we don't know if it was Naomi that sat down. Like, look, I'm going to give you these scriptures over the dinner table. Let's talk. We don't know if it was her husband doing nightly devotionals. All we know is that she, with the opportunity to go back to what she knew, said, I'm actually going to choose what's uncertain. I'm going to choose what's uncertain. The only two things I know is I'm going to follow God and I'm going to follow him until death. Now, where he's going to take me, I don't even know. But I'm going to follow God. I'm going to be with you until death. So they return home. There's the the harvest is going to happen. And when Naomi uh, gets greeted by people who were excited to have her home, look with me in verse 21 where she says, she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And I'm sorry, I'm remembering this now, so I got to say it before I interject. I wanted to thank um, Amanda for her reading and babe, I mean, Rebecca, I want to thank Rebecca for her reading. Just thank you guys for your um, helping us get the story before we uh, preach the fullness of the gospel. 
And so she, she, she says, uh, the Lord has brought me back empty. This is, a, this is a, just a, a, a Christmas spotlight, a Christmas moment. Because it says when she left, she left full. Left full with what? Full with relationships. When she left, she left with a husband, two kids. It's a challenge, y'all, that in a season that is seeking to have you focus on how much money you have and how much budget you have and how many gifts you can buy and if your gift is going to be better than your sibling's gift and if this gift and then that. It's a challenge to focus on relationships. To see the value of people because as has been expressed already in our prayer times, we don't know how much time we have together. And so celebrate each person. Celebrate your spouse. Celebrate your children. Celebrate that person who you even are in conflict with. Tell them, I can't stand you right now, but I love you. I had to erase four texts that I was about to send you, but I love you. Because we don't know what's going to happen next. She returns and says, now I'm empty. I'm empty not because I don't have the gold and the riches and all the land that we used to have. I'm empty because I don't have those that I love. But then enters Boaz. And uh, Boaz gets painted as like, I got to start old school. Boaz gets painted as like Billy D. Williams. Come a little sooner. Maybe Denzel or I don't know. Who's the new handsome dude? Chris Brown? No, nah, I don't know. Come on, Angelique, help me out now. Give me a young, come on now. You know, I don't know. Um... He gets painted as, the, as, as this image of, of, of wealth. Um, he gets painted as, as this image of stability. But like, I, I love the Bible because the Bible is so honest. We forgot that just a second ago, we was talking about his mama. His mama was a woman of faith. A woman of faith, a woman that, that, that when she had the opportunity to lose her life, she hid away God's men and said, I'm going to make sure y'all are good. A woman of faith, a woman known for selling herself. This is Boaz's mama. But Boaz, the man that's supposed to be the stature, the, the image of, 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 of stability just one generation before moms would sell herself. I love that image, not that that was her role, but I love the image that God says, which is nobody is too gone from me to work with them. What situation is a product? What situation can create a life that I can't take and do something great with? So you might have thought his background was like this. No, his background was. But watch what I do. And so Boaz enters on the scene. Not only is he wealthy, not only is he stable, he's also a part of the family line. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 3. Because now our sister 
Ruth is going to go get some grub. They came back to town. She hungry. Somehow they got to be able to make ends meet. And she heads in verse three. So she set out, went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I um, I like I, I saw this and I laughed. I saw this and I laughed. Do y'all know? Um, Oh, I might put on the spot. Do y'all know like Mary is off the chain at golf? I've never seen her personally, but Mary is like off the chain at golf, off the chain. Right. So like, can you imagine like if if we had the hole right there and Mary was standing right here? I mean, like she trained people professionally in golf. You know what I'm saying? And if we was like, this is going to be hard for Mary. To, to knock the ball in that hole, right, like two centimeters away. It's going to be like you can't even fathom somebody that amazing finding difficulty with something that's so easy and so close. I might even be able to hit the ball in this close. <laughs> and the Bible almost laughs by making this statement that, that in verse 3, she happened to come. Like, 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 like God's not sovereign. Like, like circumstances just like, like chance exists in our world. Like, like mistakenly you bumped into your spouse. Like on accident you happened to call and they had a vacancy in the job. Like, like, like happened to the Bible's almost making fun of the worldly ways in which we sometimes can operate. This is actually a, a, a jab to say. No, God's sovereign hand guided her to Boaz's field. Pause for a second and think of your life. Think of, think of your abilities. Think of your intellect. No, maybe it was your wisdom. No, maybe it was your strength that got you to where you are. Bible saying clearly, no, this, this God is, is, is sovereign. His sovereignty reign. What is, what is sovereignty? Sovereignty is simply saying that God is in control of all things, orchestrating events on our behalf. Control doesn't mean that he makes you do everything. Doesn't mean that he makes you into his robot. It does mean that he'll set you up for situations so that God willingly you choose to take advantage of the situation God has set up. He's sovereign. And so he sovereignly places this woman, Ruth, this woman of faith, this woman who now is in a foreign land, can't even grub, can't even eat, placed her in this place where where now she gets a chance to, to glean. I, uh, I'm not going to spoil it for y'all because I'm going to let y'all do it for your own. But we tell our kids about St. Nick and we say, that brother don't exist. Y'all can see the, the other real, you know what I'm saying? B- because we want our kids to know, hey, like mom and dad, like, you know, like St. Nicky, I mean... It, cool concept but like we we like we like we provide that <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't no accident that it came up in here there was some hard work we do it because we love you we're trying to model like this ultimate gift of Jesus but we want to like 
We want, we want you to know, like, and, 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 and we do that because we want them to be reminded that, like, there's a sovereign God in control of all things. Not, not, a, not a, I don't want to spoil it, so I'm going to just leave it at that. Not another homie. Mom and dad. So, so, so our sister is guided to Boaz's field. And there's a part of the economy where we make sure that women, orphans, the poor are cared for, and there's little extra food that's thrown off when they're reaping harvests. You can find that in Leviticus 19. And so she's picking up food, and what they see is this sister's character. She gets there early, she's working hard, she's busting it out, and... Brother Boaz comes on the scene like, hey, yo, bro, who is that? Who is that? Oh, that's the sister that gets here early. She works hard. Let me tell you about how she cared for her mother-in-law. Like, man, and he hears about her character. He hears about her character. And Boaz says something in 2.9. It says, uh, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, to go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz basically says to his crew, don't mess with her. Hook her up with a little extra grub. Then he comes to her like, hey, I just want you to know you're safe in these streets. I got you. And so now there begins to be this, this process of them communicating. And then he says in verses 12 and 13, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. What's going on here? Boaz is, is doing this combination. He's saying, on one hand, I've seen your character. And I believe that it's not just me blessing you. It's actually God working through me to bless you because of the way you blessed Naomi. God is showing favor your way. God is caring for you. But what Boaz does is he provides and he protects, provides, here's some extra protects, don't nobody touch her. He is, uh, and so in verse 20, uh, no, excuse me, but, but notice she says in verse 12 and 13, Boaz, excuse me, in verse 12 says to her, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. That you are protected. That, that God himself is covering over you. This idea of one that shelters, protects, and cares for her. And uh, um, Boaz is saying, and God is now covering you. Later, we're going to see a reference to that covering again that's going, to, that's going to get a little bit more intimate. Look at me at verse 20. 
And don't worry, the story's going to pick up real quick. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. When she went back and told Naomi what went down, she said, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a, excuse me, close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, one of our redeemers. This, this, this concept of redeemer is one that you could just think of like making everything right. That, that, that life might have been jacked up, it might have been unstable, it might have been um, out of whack. And the idea is that the Redeemer comes and sets things right. It's, it's, it's as if you were in debt, you owed, you could not pay, and the Redeemer comes and says, paid in full. So now, any problem you have with her, you have with me. And so we see this idea that Naomi's like, look, Boaz is one that could set everything kind of back in order. Can help us get things back straight. And it's a point. I'm, not, I'm supposed to wait to the end, but I can't wait because it's just so such a beautiful, like direct point towards Jesus being our redeemer. And you'll find in, in Isaiah and you'll find also in Psalms, Isaiah 49, 26 and Psalms 19, 14, that even the words redeemer and savior at times are lose, used interchangeably. And so this is a, a type of getting ready, a, 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 a wedding your spiritual appetite for a savior who is going to be far greater than Boaz can ever be. But right now I'm going to give you a taste of Boaz so you can have a taste of stability. And so Naomi says, look, go to the threshing floor and that's a risk. Go to the threshing floor because all the men is going to be the threshing floor. After all the men had done all of their harvesting, they go to the threshing floor and they separate the wheat from the chaff and they put all of the stuff that they've collected right over here. And you and me know that if we went to work and then our boss gave us cash, what would you do with your cash? Just leave it all out. Put it down out there on the street just like I, I trust people. No, you would. Put it under the mattress. You might even sleep on top of it. And so on the threshing floor is nothing but men, a room full of men. And Naomi says, go there at night. Actually, she says, when Boaz is done drinking, I want you to do something. So we got nothing but men. Some some sipping been going on to the point of some people passing out. And he she says, I want you to go. This is dangerous. This is risky. There was a lifestyle of sisters that went to go to that place. And that lifestyle was 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 a previous Rahab life lifestyle. That was the only type of person who would go there. And so this is risky. And she says, let's roll. I'm going. And she goes. And. Uh, she 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 does something that's countercultural. She goes and she uncovers his feet. And basically what she's saying is, will you marry me? Will you see me as being fit to marry? Would you? I'm not I'm not trying to be one of these to just walk up in here. So look with me at verse nine and twelve. 
He says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over. Do you remember beforehand? He says to her, the way you have lived, God's going to cover you. The way you have invested in Naomi, God's going to cover you. And now she's like, yeah, I know that God's going to cover me, but can you cover me? That's, that's how she comes back. She comes back with, no, I know that God now covers me, but now I want you to cover me. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, uh, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will. And what's it saying there? The young men. Basically, Boaz is a little bit older. And he's like, you're not even trying to go for the young, cut up, chiseled dude. You got some character. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. He goes to this family member who's in line and has a conversation with the family member. The family member says, um, no, I will not. Uh, be pursuing her or the land connected to her. He says, hallelujah. Hey, I need y'all to get on in this room because I'm about to connect with this land and I want to be able to pursue this woman. Verse 6, he said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself. I cannot redeem it. Why are we talking about this during Christmas? Because during Christmas, you need to be reminded of situations of faith. We all need to be reminded of God's holy plan and that his holy plan does not look like we would plan it. If we would plan God's plan, every person in his line would be immaculate. Kings, warriors. Women of great intellect and stature. But God says, no, I got some broken people. I've got some people that what I want to show you is that my sovereignty is greater than their situations. I want you to see that my sovereignty is greater than their situations. And so I want to highlight some folk. And he even plucks in what men in that day would have said, what? He puts in some women to say, yeah, some sisters of value. Yeah, some sisters that contributed to the Messiah. We need to be reminded of stories of faith because Jesus wants us to. Before his birthday, Jesus says, start in Matthew. Hey, let me tell you everybody to help contribute towards this. Y'all know what it is. It's just like the Grammys, right? Get that Grammy and it's like, I want to thank Peanut, (laughs) Nuck Nuck, Grandma. Grandma made the best chitlins. Um, I want to, and you go back with with everybody that helped bring you to that point. I love the beauty of God's word of that you see the lineage and God's faithful hand in the midst of broken people showing that his sovereignty is greater than their, no, 
his sovereignty is greater than our situations. And so um, I got all off. Look with me at verse 11, chapter 4. Because Boaz now goes forth. Um, and, and the people say, uh, people are at the gate. And the elders said, we are witnesses. My Lord, make the one, um, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up a house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath. And be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Man, um, you know what? I'm going I'm to I'm jump down to 14 and 15 because this little, pe- this little area is like just so packed with some solid stuff that I don't want to miss it. So get, get 14 and 15 with me. And then the, wom- the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Man, there's some stuff here that is like celebrating the beauty of culture and some stuff here that is totally countercultural. Look in, in verse 14. They are excited to see the, the lineage be one that's like Leah and Rachel, where like there's just great, uh, um, great, um, uh, what's it called when you like prosperity, great prosperity. But usually, um, usually a few things happen. Usually when, when you are celebrating new life and new birth, usually the man is the one who's focused on. Usually you go to say, hey, dude, congratulations. You just got a new son. That's so awesome. Look at your lineage. But I love here that the Bible actually switches. It, it doesn't go directly to Boaz. It actually goes to Naomi. Naomi, being what throughout the whole story is a woman that's a pillar of faith, poured into Ruth. It actually goes to Naomi to say, Naomi, you're going to get what you longed for, which was to see the, the, the name of your family continue, because Boaz even honors that and says, yep, I'm going to associate this with Elimelech. But what, um, what, what happens is there becomes a, a time of, what does it say, the sisters was praising and celebrate? Um, he shall be a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So y'all know, like, I'm not into no Zodiac. If you are, that's your thing. Don't do it. That's not good. <laughs> but 
seven is what's called like a heavenly number from Bible standpoint of like completion. And so if I said like, man, your meal was like seven turkeys. I mean, I'm trying to say your meal was off the chain. I'm trying to say seven turkeys. Uh, seven ambrosias. You know what I'm saying? It just was so good. And 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 instead of saying like like what the women go on to do is say that Ruth is like seven men. Like like the the idea of getting a male heir is to be exalted and lifted and they are now saying Ruth this sister of faith is like the best of best of men actually no man they are they they are celebrating her so high and that's countercultural it actually is a way of through the text we see God revering and celebrating the beauty of women and so he, we skip and see the focus not be on the man for the lineage actually celebrates Naomi see a a, a beautiful celebration of of Ruth we also see, though, a beautiful celebration of roles, of the man being the role of the king's kinsman redeemer, of a beautiful idea of marriage being this thing that points you towards God and that you can still have a beautiful role distinction in marriage and not have to sacrifice celebrating women. It's cool to see this story bring forth both of these where Ruth is made the extremely beautiful example of faith, but all within a structure that is celebrating God. And I love what Tony Evans says. He says what they did not know was that there was an even greater descent to come from this bloodline. The kingly line of David would ultimately lead to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was born in his ancestral home, Bethlehem. Though Boaz and Ruth were unaware of it, their lives and decisions were part of God's kingdom plan. By submitting yourself to the Lord's agenda, you open yourself to his sovereign purposes, not only for your own benefit, but potentially for the benefit of generations after you. That's why we see in Micah 2 and in Matthew 2, this focus of where Jesus was born, that Naomi being faithful brought the people back to the place where Jesus would be born. And now we have a lineage that we can connect directly to Ruth, this woman of faith. So what does faith look like for us? It's the same story of Ruth, right? Look with me in our last verse, Ephesians chapter 2. Because this ain't nothing but, a, but, a, but a, a theological example of the book of Ruth. 
They put the whole book of Ruth in nine verses. When you look at Ephesians chapter two, one through nine, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you once walked, followed the course of this world, followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Pause for a second. Ruth was not always a woman of faith. That's why it tells us that Ruth was from the Moabite family. Ruth was like us at one point, a sinner, far from God. But God entered into our situation, and but God entered into her situation. Even when, verse 5, we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we got saved. Ruth was saved. And then what was Ruth's good works? Yeah. Loving on her mother-in-law well, demonstrating faithfulness to God that though I don't know where you're leading, I'll just take one step at a time, Lord. I'll go out and I'll, I'll take one step at a Lord. God, God bless you. And we know that God had already ordained. He sovereignly was in control of lining up the events of Ruth and Boaz. Family, there's still a need for a kinsman redeemer. But it's not based on your relatives. It's not based on a lineage. It's actually based on a savior who is God that came into our world. If you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, by Jesus Christ, who we celebrate this coming Christmas, if you've been redeemed by him, are you still walking by faith? Does Ruth encourage you to be willing to, when hit with pain, not result back to what is comfortable, but to dive into Christ more and even be willing to follow him blindly, but follow him in faith? But if you don't know Jesus, the question is, then how will you redeem yourself? How will you make spiritual imbalances and spiritual debts go away? How will you pay your own debt to a holy God? I can't. And you can't. And this Jesus offers himself to pay your debt, take your debt upon his shoulders and provide you with everlasting life. Will you be a part of the redeemed? I'm always encouraged by these uh, by these stories that Jesus has, because it reminds us that his sovereignty 
is above all of our situations. And that is the reason why we have joy. That is the reason why during the Christmas holiday, we can walk around with joy. Oh, you lost your job? Dang, man. But I know he's sovereign over this situation. Times are rough, but I know he's sovereign over this situation. Our joy is not based on happiness. It doesn't mean I'm walking around smiling and skipping, but it does mean I can rest in a savior that I know has my good. And for that reason and that reason alone, I can have joy. I pray that for us this this Christmas season, family. And I pray Ruth encourages you in your faith. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for you. We know that um, we get to see our sister lifted up, the beauty of Naomi's life of faith, the beauty of Ruth's life of faith, the character that Boaz demonstrates as a, as a, um, a leader of his home. Father, we just pray for you to have your way. And that these lessons would, would impact and, and encourage us all. Help us during this Christmas season to be reminded of your sovereignty. To be reminded of your grace. To be reminded, Father, that there is no situation that's bigger than you. And give us, Lord, the opportunity when you place us in certain situations. Give us the opportunity the strength, the courage to make a choice for you. Don't let us, Lord, bounce back into the same old cycles that wreak havoc in our lives. Let us choose your way. It's so much better. You're worth it, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.